Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session number four. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of freelance recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast, session number four. I have to tell you, I am truly shocked at the amount of countries of people actually coming to the website. If you're a U.S. citizen, you expect people in the United States to tune in, and they are. They're tuning in in droves. But I guess what's kind of shocking to me, the fact that Germany and Brazil and Italy, Sweden, I can't read all of these, but I'm just going to kind of name a few of them. Serbia, Mexico, Japan, India, Croatia, Colombia, Czech Republic, Hong Kong, Slovenia, Paraguay, Vietnam, even Malta is tuning in. And I just got to tell you, I really appreciate it. It's, it's really great to see these uh, stats coming in, these analytics, and I'm blown away. So I will do my best to continue to, to bring you some quality interviews with kind of a different perspective of the business of the recording world. And I love equipment just as much as the next recording engineer. And we will talk about that over time, as I did mention in the very first podcast. But really want to make sure we look at the different aspects of the recording world. So a couple things I want to bring up. Let me save it a little. I got my notes here. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say that we have New Mexico recording engineer David Wheeler on today. Now, those are words that I, I never thought I'd be mentioning together. New Mexico, the state of New Mexico in the United States. New Mexico is not necessarily known as a place where people are recording. So when I think of New Mexico recording engineer... It's kind of an odd, odd combination, but fact is, is recording is going on all over the world and it goes on in different industries and culturally, depending on what's going on, you know, there's different needs. So, uh, David's going to be on today. I think you'll find that interview pretty, pretty enjoyable. Maybe I'm biased, of course, because I know David and I've known him for a long time. Let's talk about invoicing clients for a second. You do work for somebody and typically, you know, you would generate an invoice in most industries and the recording world is no different. So what are people using for invoicing? I have no idea. I've been using a service in the past at a cost of $12 a month called Harvest. And it's been great. It's, you know, I like the features. I like the user interface. It's, you log into a browser and you create invoices, you send them off. You can, as PDF files, or you can print them out. It's a very, very good system. I like it. It's it's been cool. I think what I haven't really enjoyed is the $12 a month portion of that. So I went looking for something different and I found this thing called Hivage. Let me go over there now. Hivage.com. There we go. You'll find basically a similar thing to Harvest, but the basic system of it is free, which is cool. And what they have is little, what they call modules. Uh, which essentially are different feature packs and you can add different features for a certain amount of money per month. So if you just need very simple invoicing, uh, no frills, it's free. But if you need, if you have a big office of people or a big staff and you need to involve multiple people in the invoicing 
part of it or you want to add certain features that go beyond the basics, that's what you pay for. And it's kind of an a la carte thing. So, you know, each module is roughly like two to six bucks a month. I find it pretty cool. So I'm actually going to get rid of Harvest. It's been great. I just don't want to pay 12 bucks a month for it anymore. I'd rather put that money somewhere else. Hivitz, check it out. I don't get any money kickback from them. I'm just, I use it. I like it. It's free. What's not to like about that? Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. David Wheeler. Yeah, let's get on with it. All right, David Wheeler, welcome to Working Class Audio. Thanks for being with me today. And many people don't know, you and I go way back. In fact, our families go back because our moms went to high school together, from what I remember. Yeah, that's right. And you live in our in our hometown of Las Cruces, New Mexico. Correct. Yeah, I'm back. I'm, I came back after uh, 
I was out of the state for about 10 years, and then I came back after my daughter was born. So you've been back for how long? 15 years or so, whatever the math is on that. But yeah, quite a while, certainly longer than I was gone. We both experienced this being from New Mexico, but most people you say, hey, I'm from New Mexico, they always, of course, default to, oh, are you from Santa Fe or Albuquerque? Albuquerque, yeah. Because they, they have no idea that Las Cruces really exists, and it's, it is the second biggest city in the state. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on down here, but most of it's, you know, government and, um, you know, there are a lot of border issues that, that people deal with down here that up north they don't have to really think about. And the economy, you know, down here has always been an agricultural thing and, and a college, of course. <clears throat> but uh, since all the water kind of went away, a lot of that has uh, dried up, as it were. And, uh, we have a, a reservoir out here called Elephant Butte, and if you look at a, a picture from the satellite and just how much it's dried up, I mean, the water is really going away out here. It's amazing, which has caused a lot of the industry that was starting here to move up north. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, rough, uh, it's a rough spot right now. We'll just hope it rains, you know. I wasn't aware that you were having uh, drought issues like we are in California. Yeah, quite, a, quite. Uh, you know, the thing is, we're in a desert here, so we're not, uh, you know, known for water anyway. But down here in the valley, this used to flood out. And, of course, they built the dam up there on the Rio Grande to, to create Elephant Butte Reservoir. And they would release water for the farmers down here. There's a lot of chili. Of course, the hatch, famous hatch, green chili and, and uh, pecans down here that take just a lot of water, a lot of that surface water has gone away. They've had to resort to aquifers, you know, underground water, and they've pretty much depleted, you know, most of that. A lot of the the guys are pumping up mud now instead of water. So, wow. yeah, it's getting really pretty bad. So we'll just have to see, you know, I, I'm not involved in that industry happily. You know, I've, I've, my studio is in a pecan orchard, so I, I'm, privy to what's going on but you know i just i uh, gotta hope for the best and hope people stick around we've got the government stuff here though we've got white sands and nasa and uh, of course the spaceport just came in so that's gonna kind of be the new industry which actually helps me out quite a bit because uh, you know those guys are more inclined to to utilize uh you know, recording and and uh, of course uh, commercials and, and those type of things which is what i have to do here you know Instead of music, I, I do mostly posting here for film and video. Well, let's get, let's go back a little bit. So, for the listener, I mean, David and I went to high school together. We played in marching band together. We both played on the snare drum line in high school. That's right. And after that, uh, I moved to San Francisco, and I kind of lost touch with you for a bit. And we would run into each other here and there, but. And actually, we should mention this. We growing up in Las Cruces, and there were bands. Mm -hmm. And D David was in this band called Obsidian. Yeah. With the guy that played keyboards was Colin McDowell of McDSP Plugins. Yeah. Who we of course went to school with, and I guess you could say Colin's our celebrity recording friend, essentially. He is, though it's true. I, you know, very proud of him. It's kind of interesting when you have a. A childhood friend and yourself too man i mean just really doing well and, and doing what you want to do you know guys we grew up here it's a small town it was really small then i mean uh, two high schools big rivalry so of course being in the school band was a big deal and, and uh, it was a huge marching band 
you know, and, and I guess there's always been the band geek stigma and all that, but they were a lot more, you know, supportive. The whole school kind of got behind it. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that uncool to be in bands, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that, <clears throat> unfortunately, but, uh, so that was cool. Colin wasn't in the, in the marching band, but yeah, we had a band that we used to practice in his, uh, folks garage up there and he's kind of the one who really got me started uh thinking about any kind of you know gear at all really you know as a drummer i just figure i'll just sit down and you know bang on these things and then uh, go you know drink beer in the desert which is <laughs> which just, we did yes yeah and we got pretty good at that but uh colin it's funny <clears throat> after we would rehearse the guitar player and I would, you know, hop in his, uh, you know, 1978 Monza and drive out to a little place in the desert where we'd build fires and, and drink beer and listen to, you know, classic rock or whatever. <laughs> Colin would stay home and, you know, go over logarithms and this brand new uh, system called MIDI that he was really excited about. And he would he'd try to explain to us, no, it's either a certain number of channels and you can send different information and, you know, he's just really into it. And we're kind of sitting there going, yeah, that's good. When do we go drink beer in the desert? By the way. Right. He was never one to do that. Proof's kind of in the pudding there, you know, <laughs> his, his, uh, his goals were, were pretty set forth from uh, when he was a young kid. So yeah, very happy and, and uh, for him. And it's just great to have him as a person to, you know, be able to call up and ask questions sometimes or just whatever, you know, cause he's very personable, very nice guy still. And, uh, you know, he's Colin, man. You know, nice guy. Nice guy. Do you think Colin got you thinking about recording? And What Colin did is he kind of facilitated my... I had some kind of leanings towards it. You know, the only reason that I even started mixing was because when we had a, a group, and this was before Colin came in, and me and this other fellow, Rich Estes, would play together, and the microphone would only reach to me. This is the way we had it set up. We weren't any kind of a professional act by any means we're just you know junior high so i would kind of reach over and turn the mic up and then kind of start singing uh not the best singer in the world by any means but i was better than rich i guess so, oh man I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh sorry rich yeah no no offense at all you know because uh you know we just did our thing but yeah that's kind of where i started even thinking about uh, issues like volume or frequency or of course none of the the higher end stuff was even available i mean i think we had a little pv power head that we uh, plugged some like realistic mic into and went for it you know but you know i i really enjoy that because when you have a crappy microphone and a crappy piece of gear you're forced to work it and make that sound as good as it possibly can i think that actually helped out quite a bit you know my drums as well you know i had some off-brand uh, drums when I was a kid. So I had to tune them and try to play them as good as I possibly could because I just didn't have the cash for a, a nicer kit. So that's kind of the way that uh, I get into everything is I, I don't go to the top level right off the bat. I kind of get what I can and make it uh, sound as good as I can. Looking for that transition point of where the recording started to enter your world. Right, right. Um, in, a, in a professional manner. You know, in high school, I had uh, a sound company with um, with Gary Rakelli, a guy named Gary Rakelli, and a guy named David Chavez. Mm-hmm. Where we uh, and I'm trying to think of why on earth I started uh, doing that. I think we just kind of needed PA's for our, our band and and for um, other bands that were around. And there were some uh, small music stores around here that we would uh, 
frequent and, and kind of say, wow, we should get one of those one of these days. And wow, that'd be cool to have that or whatever. And little by little, it's kind of pieced together this uh, PA that we would go and, and rent out. I remember one time we, we had this old Sun console. I remember Sun uh, powered mixer. I think it was like 12 channels. But we had this uh, girl who we knew who was the Baha'i faith. And they were having a conference down in Juarez, Mexico. And she asked if we would run sound for it. And we thought, wow, uh, okay, why not? So, I mean, it was the strangest gig of all time. Man, we're down there, and, and there are these bands from all over the world. You know, I mean, certainly not just uh, Mexico, but, you know, playing different uh, types of music. And we had just the worst gear, man. We had to... Like, you know, Radio Shack, highball mics that had four-inch <laughs> extensions run and all over the place. And just, I mean, really the pitiful gear when you, you know, think about it. But, you know, you, you, you crank it out and you do the best you can and, and uh, make it sound as good as you can. A lot of punk shows in El Paso, too, we ran that way. You know, and we're talking about, you know, like all, you know, uh, Chris Adolescence and uh, DRI and some of these early, you know, punk groups that would go through El Paso and we were kind of the guys to go to because, you know, we weren't too worried if they trashed our gear because it wasn't worth that much in the first place. But yeah, the transition would be probably in that time, you know, and we started building our own uh, uh, monitors. I remember that's one thing that we needed was monitors, man, back to Radio Shack of all places and getting these crappy little 12 inch uh, woofers for, you know, home I don't even know if they had that Optimus line back then. You know, just the, the, if anyone's been to Radio Shack and remembers the old blue and white box um, that had, you know, it just says like speaker, 12-inch speaker on it. And we'd get those and we'd, you know, build these monitor cabinets around. I think we built four and covered them with some stuff we got at the hardware store and, you know, just did our thing and it's kind of built it slowly. So I don't really have a, a definite... Uh, you know, point where I just I started doing it. it just kind of evolved, you know, just out of necessity, I guess it would be. You know, typically we we talk to recording engineers that are freelance that are going to other places, but as as we talked about before we started recording, the necessity for actually having your own place in Las Cruces, it's very important because there's not a lot of studios. There's there are, I think three studios. Well. Four, there's Emmett Brooks's place, but you know, Emmett Brooks, yeah, right. Had one. He's had one since uh, the '60s. Yeah, and you know, recorded all the bands for years and years. You know, the music scene used to be a lot more uh, prevalent here, and uh, he had a, a label. What was it Gold Dust Record? And, and he'd record all these guys. And <clears throat> it's kind of funny, you know. He had a a room with the drums in there, with this carpet cave kind of thing, and. Well, the traditional dead drum room. Oh, man, it was crazy. And uh, But he was the only game in town for a long time. But, you know, we got a, a, some other guys now. Uh, Travis Manning has a place here. Uh, Joel Parker has a place. These are uh, image recording and a Nasty Cactus uh, recording. And then, of course, my place here. But I think that's about it. I, I know there are a few home studios. But it's it's mostly people who have their own places. Yeah. And not necessarily super big commercial facilities where outside engineers, I mean, I, I would call Emmett Brooks's place a commercial facility, but it's not necessarily 
point of business for him to have outside engineers come in. Would you Would you agree with that? No, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I don't. I don't think he likes that too much. You know, I think he likes to be in charge of it. Yeah, like it's his place, and and right. your place is is very much like that as well, right? And to a point, but I've had different guys come in, and uh, you know, when when I do a lot of the posting, a lot of people like to bring a set of ears with them. You know, that someone who's an engineer or or just uh, maybe uh, knowledgeable in it, and and if they want to get on the console, yeah, go ahead. You know, I turn it over right away. I was pretty lucky. A few years ago, we did a movie here called Refuge. Mark Medoff uh, is a one of our local celebrity guys here. And um, he had uh, Ross Vanelli come in, who's a, a composer, you know, Gino Vanelli's brother, another act from the 70s that a lot of your listeners might not know, but he's written a lot of songs, you know. He wrote a lot of uh, you know pop hits and stuff. It was good for me to work with that guy because he's been doing it for a long time. And he'd hop on the console and kind of mix this that way and, you know, throw EQ or compression on something that... Uh, you know, I just kind of watching him do it and it was all right, you know, so I, I enjoy that. I think it's great when another engineer comes in. Yeah. I always like to see how other people work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And then you can always learn, you know, hopefully your, your audience understands that nobody knows everything and you're, you can always learn. If not, that's the way you should be thinking because man, you, you know, you absorb every, every second you're working, you know, something new happens every time I get behind the the console, man, you know, something different. Well, oh yeah, that's cool. Maybe I'll do that next time or something like that, you know. Instead of having a fixed mindset and thinking that you're the smartest person in the room at all times, I think that can be detrimental to one's career. Um, cool. Yeah. And, it, and it's, I think it's always best to have a, a, a little bit more, what would you say, an, a, just an open mind and... and well, sure. Open mind and just, you know, the willingness to, to realize other people's opinions are valid. You know, they may not know how to express what they're thinking as far as what do you do with the gear to make this or that sound happen, but they know what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. So you try to, you know, accomplish that. And it's funny, I, I'm in a position where I could be that that type of person, you know, like, what do you know about this? You don't have a, a place, you know, and, and get kind of snotty about it. But that's ridiculous, you know. That doesn't that doesn't help anyone out. It doesn't get the the product uh, finished. Right, and if anything, you don't want people to walk away with the experience of, well, we got some good work done, but man, that guy was a dick. Exactly, which can happen pretty quick. And I really don't know where that comes from. Maybe just their friends telling them that they're the the coolest guy or whatever. But yeah, I, I don't know. I've never I've never uh, adopted that. I, I don't think that uh, is a healthy attitude. I was watching this video of this Japanese band that came to work with Steve Albini in Chicago at Electrical Audio. Anytime somebody says Steve Albini, I always think, man, that guy is, to me, the epitome of professionalism in terms of um, accommodating people and realizing that what we do is it's a service business. And even with a a mild language barrier between this Japanese band and and Albini, he couldn't have been more accommodating and, and, and super cool to them. Yeah. And... They seemed genuinely happy with with what he was doing, and never did I, I sense an air of of arrogance from a guy who's recorded a lot of very heavyweight people. Sure, uh, from you know Page and Plant and Nirvana and the Pixies and list goes on. But it just it every time I see videos of him working, it makes me think, wow. Just remember, this is a service business, and it's a good idea to be cool to people. 
Absolutely. Well, and well, you know, generosity is is uh, the word. I think it takes me back to Colin. You know, you, you'll never find a more generous person in the world than that guy. And yeah, giving and uh, like I say, facilitating and, and willing to uh, help out. You know, in any way he can. And, and what what good is it going to do for me to sit here and try to steer your band in a direction that it may not want to go? You know, they they have a an idea how they want to sound and they've come to this guy's place and yeah, you know, it's his job as like you say, a service industry to take, you know, take care of them and make sure that they get what they came for. So tell me, first of all, uh, tell everybody the name of your studio. It's studio 603, 603, studio 603. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, that's a real inventive name. I know, but there you go. 603 in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And at your studio, you not only deal in music recording, but you also deal in post-production for, for film and for video game stuff as well. Yeah, true. <clears throat> a few years ago, um, we had a, a governor here, Bill Richardson, who brought film to uh, New Mexico and, and pretty much northern to start with. But people come down southern New Mexico for the desert and for... Um, you know, there are green places here that stay green a little bit longer than anywhere else. So they, they come down here to get those shots. And a lot of times I'll end up uh, posting on a, a video or a film that they've shot here. Most of the business that I do is, you know, word of mouth at this point. I've been doing it for a few years, but people will send me their video from I've, from New Jersey. And I just finished a film from some guys in uh, Seattle. And it was really interesting. They've got their choice of studios up there, but they sent it to me just because a, a friend kind of recommended it. And uh, I've got the same you know gear here that they have there, but I don't have to charge anywhere near as much as they do up there. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that respect. I can you know gather that business up that way, and it's all right. I like it. You know, in the days of uh, before the internet, this could not have happened. You know, so unfortunately, a lot of the music uh, here they. They uh, there was a, a club scene here for a long time, and a lot of bands would get together and, and go play a lot of these clubs here in El Paso. And the owner, there was one guy who owned all the liquor licenses uh, from those uh, clubs, and he found out that they were going to you know deregulate and and allow more liquor licenses than just a certain amount. There's a whole uh, liquor law uh, that we can go into some other time. But just there was only a certain amount of licenses available in the entire state. And so you, if you wanted to open up a bar, you'd have to wait until another place closed and then you could buy their license for an insane amount of money. You know, $750,000, not unheard of. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. Um, and the competition for these things, uh, you can imagine. Well, anyway, you found out they were going to. He regulate that, and he sold all of his liquor licenses off before that happened. It's, it's a brilliant business move. I mean, I don't blame him for doing it, um, but now all the convenience stores have packaged uh, liquor in them, but all the clubs closed up. And there are a bunch of empty buildings standing around town that used to be where we would go play, and now they're just uh, they're deserted. Nothing's in them. It's, it's pretty sad, actually. So uh, that dried up, unfortunately. People like to go to places to see people play and, and they like to drink, but it's unfortunate that that's got to be a, a main motivator to for a music venue. I wish there was yeah. an alternative. 
Well, you're right. You're absolutely right. And unfortunately, around here, though, that's kind of it's kind of it. You know, there's not a lot going on here uh, socially. It's getting better. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But, you know, for the most part, people go out and they go drinking down, down here. And that's what they do for a band. That was your place to play. That's it's kind of had an interesting side effect where a lot of the the people who are still musicians and it still calls to them to do that now have to find other venues to play. You know, back and I'm sure you remember before we were old enough to to get into bars, we we play the the college fraternities and you know all of these really bizarre um, little gigs here and there, and that's kind of what it's had to go back to. Some of the clubs, uh, some of the restaurants and this and that have opened up and are having uh, bands play now and open mic nights and, and things of that nature. And, and that's helping out quite a bit. But for the most part, uh, yeah, a lot of the music kind of dried up when that happened. It's, it's, uh, town is small enough to where a decision like that actually affected the whole music scene. Huh. But yeah, it's depressing, it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it is depressing. I hate hearing that because, I mean, at the, the time that I lived there and you had Obsidian and I was playing in the Sextants and man, uh, there was Second Shift Parking and Anxiety of Silence and all these bands. Mm -hmm. Walter Ego, remember those guys? Oh yeah. 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 And uh, of course, Anxiety of Silence with, uh, that had uh, Matt Thorne and uh, those guys were great, you know? I mean, I, I actually went to Full Sail when Matt was out there. I went and stayed with him when I went out there. God, I'm trying to remember the year here. 80... 88, 89, something like that. And he ended up going out to Los Angeles, and and, and he's out there now. I, I think he's still doing engineering. I'm not sure. You went to Full Sail to visit him, or you went to Full Sail to go to Full Sail? No, I went to school there, yeah. and that's Oh, yeah. tell us about that. Well, that's back when it wasn't, uh, you know, Full Sail University and all of this. This is, you know, just Winter Park, Florida, and just, you know, we, we had our, our classes all over the city. You know, there was a central campus that had about i don't know six maybe six classrooms and they had the big mobile recording um, this kind of recreational vehicle that they turned into this mobile recording thing so i, I went out there after a couple of years of college and decided well you know nmsu and i didn't get along very well so i decided to go to audio engineering school instead so i went out to full sail and uh, was there well the course was only a year i didn't take the full course i was there I don't remember how many months now. There's, I just, uh, I, it was thirteen thousand bucks. I remember for the whole year, and I, just, hmm. I didn't have that, and I, I don't remember how much I did, but I, I did something like four classes or five classes out of, uh, out of seven or something like that. No, I had a good time. I learned quite a bit enough to get an internship in. Uh, in Los Angeles, which I, did, I didn't take, actually. I decided to go to school at Musicians Institute instead. It's <laughs> uh, bizarre having this, like, jumping from, uh, like, trade school to trade school in my early 20s kind of thing. But I ended up working out there at Soundcastle. Uh, the studios went great. You talk about freelance engineers, you know, boy, that was it, man. And that place was a posting house. They did all the Tiny Tune adventures and uh, a lot of cartoons, strangely enough. But I got to see some great stuff there too. You know, I saw you know, Eric Johnson recording there, and I remember Dave Jordan brought in Alice in Chains. It was right when I first started working there. I was a runner, you know, so it was my job to go and you know get fruit and coffee and you know whatever, just kind of uh, please these guys. 
And I heard these mixes uh, coming out of the studio, and uh, it, it was Alice in Chains of that first album, and thinking, God, what is that stuff? That's bizarre. That's, I, I don't know if I like that or not. Oh, was that for the facelift record? Well, the, the song I remember hearing now, because it was such a distinct sound, was The Man in the Box. Uh, yeah, that was off. Uh, that was off facelift. That was the first record. Yeah, it was there because they hadn't been out yet. So that has to be it. But you know, just that bounce, bounce, bounce. You know, that bizarre, uh, brand new sound. You know, and uh, you know, I was a kid from you know New Mexico who you know was you know busy listening to you know Boston and Bad Company and stuff like that. <laughs> and to go out there and, and hear that was a real eye opener for me. So it was kind of cool. I, mean, I really enjoyed going and doing that. And talk about, like I said, your freelance engineer haven, man. God, there were guys coming in there from all over the world to mix songs and, and to work on the posting. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. Tell us about your business and what's working for you because I, I paid you a visit here over the summer mm -hmm. and I walked away from that and I thought, Dave's doing great. You had a great place and you had a couple rooms going, great gear, and, and you seem to be constantly... Uh, you know, making money and reinvesting that money into your place. You know, half, I'd say three quarters of my money that I make goes back into the studio. Uh, that's also available to me because of where I live, though. It's not that expensive to uh, to live in Las Cruces, New Mexico, as opposed to, you know, San Francisco, good heaven. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I lived in L.A., and that was bad. But, I mean, you guys up there, just that's an insane amount of money. It's like you might as well live in Hawaii, you know? I know, <laughs> which you know, nothing wrong. I'm not trying to say anything bad about San Francisco, but man, it is pricey, you know. And that, of course, has a direct effect on your ecosystem that you're operating in, how you can operate in it, and what the parameters are. Unfortunately for you, you've you've got a very low cost of living. Oh yeah, I mean, low cost of operation. <clears throat> you know, I don't have a, a big staff that I have to pay, and and uh, you know, my utilities are not uh, through the roof. Kind of going back to what we were talking about with the music, since that has kind of dried up, I'll still do a band here and there, but for the most part, I end up working on uh, posting on for film, video, and I end up going out in the field a lot. I do production audio, um, I take a you know 664 out and a boom mic and a bunch of lobs, and, and a bunch of uh, reality TV ends up coming out this way, and I don't know why. But um, I think I'm kind of the only guy in the area who really does it, so I get a lot of those calls uh, as far as, um, oh, like we did a, a show on the Marfa Lights one time, so I had to go down to Alpine, Texas, and some of these spots around uh, southern New Mexico and in southern Arizona and west Texas. And uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. You know, I, it, as I get older, I'm kind of falling out of love with that a lot because it's a young man's game, you know, the old run and gun, as they call it, where you got to, you know, keep up with uh, these 
22 year old camera guys who could, you know, run all night long if they had to. And I'm sitting here going, man, I'm not going to run and do all that. You know, that. <laughs> it's time for me to go. I'm built for comfort, not for speed, you know? So. <laughs> the common theme, it seems, uh, with the last, um, a couple interviews we had with Hillary Johnson and Laura Dean, you know, juggling various tasks, multitasking, doing, you know, you're doing location sound, you're doing post-production, you're doing bands, you're doing live sound, mm -hmm. doing a wide variety of things to, to keep, keep the income coming in. Yeah, you have to, you've got to diversify. I, you know, I'd love to just be able to sit behind the console and that's about it, but it just doesn't, uh, doesn't work out that way. One of the nice parts about doing production audio um, however, is that if I don't send off, uh, you know, a card with some producer or something like that, I can bring it back and and post it here at the studio. Well, I can not only kind of notate on my tracks what is, you know, what's what and just set it up for myself uh, for later, but I can also, you know, mentally uh, kind of take uh, my notes, okay, we're going to use that, I'm like, okay, can't use that, whatever. And it, it kind of streamlines the process. And, I, you know, if there's one thing that uh, producers and, you know, just money people in general like is you to get the job done well and, and, and quickly. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest uh, reasons, I think, why people come back and, and have me do it is because it's good, but it's, it's pretty fast at this point. And, uh, and, it's, and it's low cost, I guess, in comparison to, the, oh, yeah. you know, <clears throat> the other parts of the United States. Oh, yeah, I, I can charge a third of what they pay somewhere else. And like I say, with the Internet uh, being involved, no one even has to leave their living room. You know, it's just um, a matter of a, of a Dropbox or a WeTransfer or something away, you know, and that's how, that's how we get the information back and forth. Do you actively go out and try to solicit business there in Las Cruces, or do you just – go purely by word of mouth and just let the business come to you? You know what? I never have. I've never advertised. Uh, I've never, in fact, I kind of uh, tried to be as secretive as possible about, you know, my location and everything else. You know, I don't live here. It, I really keep it as under wraps as I can as to the actual location of the studio because that's not really something that uh, needs to get out. So I don't want to, you know, put an ad in the yellow pages and then people wonder what's going on. I, I get uh, quite a few calls. It's kind of, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. It's funny to say the yellow pages, but I mean, even if you put out a Craigslist ad, right. you generally tend to, to get, I don't know, a lot of non-professional people. And I find that if you're a professional and you're seeking out, you know, you know where to find guys like you. That's right. Yeah. You know, I do, I should say that I, I am listed in, you know, production hub and, um, uh, some of these other kind of industry websites as far as just being a freelance engineer. I'd say that at least half of the business that I get, new business that I get comes off of a production hub. And that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's um, a lot of these people who call from, you know, all over the, the country and they're just looking for someone in this area. And I think there are a couple guys in El Paso who do this. But other than that, there's really no one in this like, southern part of the state who does. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, lucky in that way. I get a lot of those calls. But there, I've met guys doing uh, production sound. We did this one in a Steins or Steens, whatever you want to say. It's a ghost town on the Arizona border, Arizona-New Mexico border. 
where they had these guys uh, digging up treasures, you know, from what is one of these uh, metal detection shows. I can't go into a lot of details, but it was it was uh, it was a show like that, you know, that like diggers. It wasn't diggers. So I can say that. OK, I met these guys. And one guy was from uh, Washington State and the other guy was from Indiana and they were both freelance guys who answered a call, I think it was on Staff Me Up or something, one of those uh, sites, and ended up getting flown out to southern New Mexico to be a part of a sound team for some of these uh, these people operating in this reality show. So you can pretty much live anywhere and, and uh, find your freelance gig on one of those sites. I mean, it works really well. I'm actually surprised that they trust you know, people who they just find on these sites, these are, you know, network uh, shows. If it's a new uh, new client, they don't know me. They don't know what, you know, I might have the gear, but what if I don't know what I'm doing? You know, they, it's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> what if you're just a big scam artist? Well, yeah, I mean, or, or just some guy who says, oh, I can do that. And then I get out there and I, I can't. I don't know what they would do. I don't know what happens in that situation. I, you know, I wouldn't ever put out that I could do something that I can't, you know, because that'll just get me in trouble. But it's a real, a real interesting industry to, to be in. And like I say, the more I, the older I get, the more I'm into kind of posting and sitting and, and sending out final mixes and stuff like that versus going out and capturing it. Although some of those uh, road gigs are great. You know, you get to see some really unique stuff, especially when you're working for some of these corporations who have, uh, you know, they're, they need audio on new projects or new um, business ventures that no one else has seen yet. And, you know, new vehicles and uh, things of that nature that for a little while is you and the, the team know exactly what's going on, but no one else in the world knows yet. Right. And I kind of like that aspect. It's kind of cool, you know? What would your advice be to somebody who's just starting out and who is in a small town and is in a similar situation that, as far as um, location and doesn't live you know, near a San Francisco or L.A. or New York or whatever, a big city? Sure. What would you advise them on how to run a business of this, t of this type or, or do audio in general? We kind of hit on it earlier. I think the biggest thing you can do is never – uh, to think that you know enough. You know, always continually uh, seek out knowledge from people who are already uh, in the industry and doing it. That, like your podcast, is a great example of that. And uh, you know, do your best to to try to familiarize yourself with what is current. You know what the industry is asking for. And make sure that if you're going to invest, uh, don't uh, don't buy too far back. You got to buy some used gear. That's cool, but just make sure that it's compatible with what people are wanting uh, these days. And as far as um, you know, getting a business going, uh, boy, it's a tough one. I I was pretty lucky when I first came back to New Mexico after my daughter was born. She's the reason that we moved back was to um, raise her here in Las Cruces. My wife is from Las Cruces also. And there was really nothing going on here for the first, I don't know, five years that I was back. I was just trying to make my money, you know, playing in a band and uh, maybe running sound at some of the clubs and stuff like that. But then the, the film industry came to town and, and that's when it really kind of took off. 
So I'd say if you're going to try to start a studio, I'd look for a need and then fulfill that need. You know, that, that would probably be your, your best bet. Also, I would say look for other opportunities like film, you know, or location sound. Uh, the thing about the Staff Me Up website, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to commercialize your, your cast here, but um, if you join that service, and you, it's kind of like a, a dating service for, uh, for industry people. You know, you, they, they marry you up with gigs. And uh, that's where I find a lot of those. When I look for them, that's where I would find them is through that staff me up. Where there's like some, you know, three day shoot in, you know, I don't know, Ottawa, Iowa, or whatever, and they're looking for a sound guy with this gear. Well, you can put in for that, and if they don't find anyone locally, and they got to get the shoot done, well, they're going to call you and they're going to say, "Well, can you? Are you free?" And if you're free, then yeah, they'll fly you out and they'll put you in a hotel and they'll they'll have you do it. But um, if you're looking for a gig, if you're in a small town and there's nothing happening around there, then just be willing to travel and, and uh, get out there and, and uh, you have to have your gear together. Or a lot of times they will pay for you to rent uh, the gear. So if you know the gear but don't have it, then you can have a rental fee attached and, and that would work too. But uh, I always, you know, I think owning your own gear is the only way to go because, uh, you know, that way you know it, you, you uh, know the ins and outs of it, you can, you know, just really get to know it. And uh, when you go out there and you're in the field and suddenly you know, you've got to have, you know, three hops, you've got to have, a, you know, a headsets to the money guys, you've got to, you know, put laws on three guys and mic up a motorcycle and suddenly you're like, well, how do I do this? If you don't know that gear, then... Uh, you know, it's going to be a rough day. But if you know it, then you can just get it done and um, then they'll call you back next time they're in town. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. I'd be curious what percentage is location sound compared to post-production compared to bands. I, I already know the answer to the bands question. I know that's a smaller percentage these days. Yeah, unfortunately. I'd say, um, let's say that the bands comprise 20%, which leaves me with 80. I'd, I'd have to say probably 30% is in the field and and then the other 50 is in the studio, in the in the posting room. Yeah, most of it's spent in the studio and I like that. Uh, I like going out on location, but uh, like I say, a little less these days just because, uh, you know, I got kids growing up and, and uh, I don't really want to disappear for a couple weeks at a time. But I have to say this, I, and 
the money on the location gigs is pretty good. It's good to look outside of your your music world and look into these type of opportunities in location sound or post production because, God, even in, in Las Cruces, huh, Dave? You can find uh, film production or or something that needs sound that doesn't have to necessarily do with music. It's funny. People have asked me, why do you, why do you do that? You know, or what's, you know, what, what, what draws you to it? And I just have to say it, it called to me, you know, I, I ended up doing it to try to walk away from it. If I'm upset about something, I just, I, I got to do it, you know? So if it calls to you, if the industry is, is, uh, you know, sucking you into it like that, well, just look around and, and look for the need and see what, uh, see what maybe some other people are doing or what, what really fascinates you about it and what draws you to it and then uh, to search it out even in a small town you know you don't have to um, you don't have to wait for it to come to you and in fact if you do it won't you've got to you've got to know your gear you've got to know your theory you, you've got to understand what it is you're going to be doing all that just kind of comes from you know we have the the internet if they can get to your podcast they can certainly get to any of the, the sites and and uh, you know just places that that describe what's happening and, and see what people are wanting and then kind of gear towards it. How do you set your rate? And do you have a different rate for doing music versus post-production versus location sound? Well, I'm lucky in that respect also that being the owner of the place, if I've got a friend who's got a project and he, and I know his financial situation, well, I can adjust uh, what I'm going to charge him or her for that. Um, you know, and, and honestly, if at all, if it's a really good friend or something who just needs some help, well, yeah, come on in, let's, let's take care of it. Um, I have that, that luxury. Uh, if it's someone who I don't know, then I'll just set it off of an industry rate and also where they're from and kind of what they're expecting and what they can afford. Around here, you have to realize that there aren't a lot of really rich people, especially in the film industry, uh, who are coming in and, and especially, especially in the, in the music industry bands um, have a hard time um, sometimes I get calls from people who want to come in and record and they ask me what the rate is and I'll ask them well where are you from and what's going on and, and you know how do you plan on on paying for it you know a lot of times bands want to come in they want to record but they have no idea how they're going to pay for it <laughs> and, it's, and it's always it's just always blowing my mind it's like why would you why would you even want to come in with without having any way to pay for it or knowing what it costs. Oh yeah, I, you know, just uh, and, and it, when I first started, it happened a couple times, and I I won't get fooled again in that where they'll they'll come in and, and they'll like put a down payment or something on there, and then we end up running way way over and stuff like that. So I would say I'd, I'd have a set rate for people I don't know who want to come in and and just uh, and lay down tracks or something like that. Um, if it's someone I know, then I can, I'll give it a little wiggle room, you know, and we can figure it out and get there. Cause it's more important to me to have a quality product come out of this area than to have something that's pretty good, but remains underground because they can't get it down. You know, um, as far as the difference between music and, and posting, I charge a little bit more for posting just because of the incredible amount of files involved. There's a lot of searching, you know, there's a lot of, uh, very non- engineering type work that goes into posting or just finding you know especially when people don't label oh my god if you're gonna go if you're gonna do production audio field recording for the love of god label your tapes 
<laughs> your takes, you know, it's not that hard. <laughs> and and man, it saves so much time later on because when it's just a bunch of numbers, you got to listen to every one, you know. And uh, especially if you have a, you know, if if you know where it's heading, then you can say, you know, good take or you know, the, the birds around here. There's always these uh, uh, doves. They just drive you crazy when you're out in the field. They they're around you just year round. They're always here. And so a lot of my takes say, you know, nice take, but doves, so you can't use it. Or, or if you've got, you know, if it's a good take and it's the one that the director wants to use, well, then you got to dig in, then you got to take the, the birds out using some of that forensic stuff, which is amazing, by the way. There's some really good stuff out there for that now. You should uh, develop a preset for one of those pieces of software, uh, <laughs> the D-Dover. No doubt, man. God, I'd make well, I'd make a million for myself. Anyway, I don't know if anyone else even has to deal with them. Well, yeah. Cool, Dave. This has been awesome. All right, man. Yeah, well, for me too. I I really appreciate you uh, uh, talking to me about it. I'm I'm happy to offer up anything I can. You know. <laughs> All right, there you have it, David Wheeler, uh, New Mexico recording engineer. Sorry for the harsh cutoff there. We actually. Um, Beyond the recording, we kept talking for another like 30 minutes about friends and family and funerals and, you know, just catching up as old friends would do. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. So that's it for uh, session four today. A little bit of housekeeping, of course. Make sure you go to the Facebook page and actually like us. Spread the word. Tell all your friends. And to all of you in all those uh, countries outside of the United States, thanks for tuning in. Glad to have you here. If anybody has any questions or any requests for specific guests that you would love to see or hear, rather, uh, always send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com. Would love to hear from you. Um, Obviously, it's good to, to know the audience and know what you're thinking. All right, everybody take care, and I'll, I'll have a new one for you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.